source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Bibles to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> We're continuing our series there. And as you'll see, um, you don't have to hear much more from me because we've just got two verses to read this morning. So... Um, that means the sermon's going to be, what, a third of length? It's, it's two verses. Um, we're, we're breaking into a new section here in Romans where Paul's going to begin to talk about the reign of death. And uh, we're just going to read verses 12 through 14. And it's our uh, conviction that this is the Word of God, the very Word of God, the, the very words of God that have been recorded here in this book, and so uh, listen to them um, as such. This is the word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin, was in, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is the word of the Lord. I'm reading a book about the war, uh, World War II, the battle from Moscow, in which the writer tells us that there are nine million troops involved in the totality of this terrible, terrible battle for the city of Moscow. And what's remarkable about this to me is thinking about the decision of one man, Hitler, the series of decisions and actions on his part, and how many people died because of that. It just staggers the imagination. And when... England and France declared war on Germany when they invaded Poland, then it didn't matter who you were in England you were subject, or France, you were subject to war because you belonged to that nation. And when the leader of that nation acted, you couldn't just say, well, fine for you, I'm not going to be a part of it. No, you're a citizen of a nation that has declared war. We became citizens of a nation that declared war. Japan, and then Germany. And you think of the hundreds of thousands of lives, millions of lives that were lost because of those decisions. And it not only is on this large scale of a decision made by one that involves all, but it was a touching scene when talked about the Nazi army surrounding one of the little towns in Russia as they were marching toward Moscow, which they never took Moscow, but almost did. Um, and as they surrounded this town, they what they would do is 
execute any officer of the Russian army. And it told how this one Russian officer uh, had fled into the village and took on civilian clothes, but the Nazis discovered that he was there. And so they decided that they would have all the villagers out and they decided we're going to kill every tenth person until you give him up. And to which he stepped forward and was immediately taken out and executed. Why? Because he's an officer. He belonged to this nation that they were fighting and that connection couldn't be denied. And it meant his death. You know, you might have, some of those soldiers on the German side, if it wasn't a war and they could meet somewhere in a tavern, they might have had a beer together. If somebody could talk Russian and, or speak Russian, somebody could speak German, they might have become friends on a given night. But no, there was a connection that he had, and it meant his death automatically. And we don't like to think in those terms as individuals in regard to God. But this passage basically says that there was a man who declared war on God, Adam, and when he declared war on God, every one of us were plunged into that war. Not only, in this case, plunged into the war, but we became like him in his warfare. That's how vital our connection is to Adam. That when he gave himself to refuse God and turned away from God, all of mankind in him lost fellowship with God. All of mankind was immediately alienated and at war with God and personally involved in that rebellion and refusal. That's what this passage is about. And so it's a sobering passage. It's a dark passage in some ways, but it's, it's, way, it's, it's full of more hope than anything else, which we're going to get to as we work through this passage. But there, there's just the introduction of what this is about. But it's about not only our connection with Adam, but it's about the possibility that we can be connected to Christ. And that the connection to Christ so overwhelms and overrides our connection with Adam that we have a total reconnection. And we're not considered, in one sense, in Adam any longer. We're part of the new humanity. And as we're going to see, you're either, as Thomas Goodwin so long ago said, you're either on the belt of Adam or you're hanging on the belt of Christ. Everybody here is either in Adam or in Christ. That's a sobering thing. And it affects your destiny. Just like these uniforms we're talking about, just like this war we're talking about, it has ramifications for your life to whom you belong. Now, we want to look at it. Uh, we're just looking at these first couple of verses because there's a lot in them. Several commentators have said that this is one of the most packed things that Paul has ever written. Therefore, there's a lot of hard things in it. It seems like I say that again and again, right? There's a hard section. And this, they say, is one of the hardest sections. Um, but I want to look at it in, in these uh, three 
with these three subjects. First, the hope that is here. And we're going to see its connection because it's part of a section on hope. Then we're going to look at sin and death, and then we're going to look at resurrection. So it's hope, sin and death, and then resurrection. Now, it begins as so many sections, new sections, therefore, just as sin came into the world. And so he is building on what he has just said, verses 1 through 11, about hope. He ends in such a glorious statement in verses 9, 10, and 11. Much more will we be saved from the wrath of God. If we're reconciled, we'll be saved by His life. So we rejoice in God. We boast. We have jubilation in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've received this reconciliation. Now, in that light, in that hope, he now is exploring the universal plunge into sin here in Romans 5, 12 and following. And really this is harking back to chapter 1 of Romans, which discusses the wrath of God revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And many commentators have pointed out that as he describes mankind turning away from God and worshiping the creature rather than the creator, there are overtones of Genesis in that section. And so there are overtones of, in Adam we all fell, even there in Romans 1. And then he's described the universal effects of that sin. As we plunged ourselves and turned away from honoring and worshiping this God, he said in chapter 3, verse 9, we charge that all Jews and Greeks are under sin. And he said later in verses 10 and following, that all, none, keeps repeating, every single person is affected by sin, so that he can say in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So now he's looking at it from this historical perspective. He's showing how this was rooted in the very action of Adam himself and that all of us then were plunged into alienation, death, sin, condemnation in our relationship to Adam. But he's saying this so that we can, in a sense, pull out the worst, look head on at our situation as humanity, and then he can pit that situation against the glory that has come to us in Christ Jesus. So that he says, if you'll be looking here in chapter 5, verse 18, well, verse 17, he says, death reigned through the one man, verse 17, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So he paints this dark picture of the sinfulness and the, the alienation and death that has come upon us. But it's in order to set this up, to say no matter how terrible the condition of mankind, and you simply look at the history of the world, and it's just this huge cauldron of sin and wickedness and brokenness and death that pervades our history, marked by the, the physical death of every human being. You just look at it. We're just strewn with death and alienation. 
And yet into this enters Jesus Christ. And those who trust in Him and experience His grace will be not under the reign of death anymore. They'll be reigning in life. And then he says later in uh, verse uh, 21, that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. So this passage is about hope. The hope that no matter what the condition of all of humanity, taken as a whole, plunged into this, uh, this sinking quicksand of death and alienation, uh, what we have in Christ Jesus more than overwhelms it, and we go from, rain, from death reigning over us to actually reigning in life, issuing in eternal life through Christ. So what we have here is Christ as the new Adam. Uh, scripture has again and again uh, the replacement of somebody with somebody. Joshua replaces Moses, and David replaces Saul, and Elisha replaces Elijah. But now Adam has plunged us into sin. Who is going to come and bring us out of that? Well, it's Jesus Christ, the true man, the final and perfect man. He's actually called in 1 Corinthians uh, 15... Uh, the second Adam. In that passage, as he contrasts the two, he says in verse 45 of chapter 15, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Speaking of Christ exalted and pouring out the spirit. But notice he calls him the last Adam. So this is the new Adam heading a new humanity. That's what we needed. The old Adam had plunged us into sin. We need a new Adam, and we have him in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for everyone here, I can say to you, you, are, you either belong to Adam, and you are under the reign of death, or you belong to Jesus Christ, and you're in the reign of life, even now. And it will issue into eternal life. There couldn't be a greater contrast between our destinies. We think sometimes of Christ coming and he says, the goats and the sheep on my left and on my right. Or we think of Psalm 1 where it says, the wicked will not be among the congregation of the righteous. There's a separation. We read of the angels coming and separating out. Well, here is the separation. Whether we're in Adam or we've escaped that that nation, so to speak, that world, that reign of death, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ where there will be a reign in life. And we'll look further at that reign in life next week. So I want to first say hope because that's the context of this all, even though we're about to plunge into talking about sin and death. The overall context, along with the first part of chapter 5, is hope. And this section, 5 through 8, I remind you, 8 is all about hope. So that's the bookends of 5 through 8. Hope, hope. And in the middle of it, our seeking to obey Him in our lives. But it's framed by hope, sustained by hope. I mean, this is a glorious statement, isn't it? Reigning in life. A kingship of the people of God, even now, that's taking hold with the, in the vigor and strength of life, a new life that we have. So let's dig in a little bit and look at this, uh, at, at death and sin as it's set forth here. You notice how 
he says, sin came into the world through one man and then death through sin. So wherever sin goes, death goes. Like a parasite that carries a virus. And the whole, of the, uh, whole structure of human life finds its foundation, its pillars, its support walls, its cross beams in its relationship to God. And if that relationship is compromised, it's like an earthquake that splits the foundation and brings irrevocable damage to the whole building. Death. And so the whole building has to be uh, rebuilt and repaired or it will go down because it's a fatal wound. And that's the picture here. When we sin, when we turned away from God, the whole structure of our existence was destroyed and death ensued. I think of a, a breach made on a house that's carefully sealed up and through this hole one night, tens of thousands of cockroaches flood into that house. Yeah. But that's the picture here. Death spread to all men. It infused. It, there was no place that it didn't reach. Death's horrible effect. Now, there, I won't bore you with all the Greek uh, things in this passage, but there are a lot of words that are contested. And one of, of them is this last word, because. And I want to follow uh, the great commentator Thomas Schreiner, who has, uh, he, he teaches, up at, uh, teaches up at Southern under Al Mohler's presidency, and he's a very strong Reformed Baptist uh, uh, professor. But he would contend, and I think he's right in this, that this little, literally this word means death spread to all men upon which all sinned. That's the literal meaning of those two words. So the meaning is this, death being here the alienation or separation from God spread to all men and upon which all men sinned. So that we inherited this alienation. We were caught up in this alienation. This being cut off from the life of God. That's what we got from Adam. So that we all are born into this state of deadness and alienation. And our confession talks about that. From that condition of death flow all of our sins. We are cut off from the favor of God. And so all of us enter this world already alienated and spiritually dead by virtue of Adam's sin. And since we enter this world in this state of death, all of us sin. And that's why in this passage, some have said this teaches, in a sense, original death more than even original sin. It's just making the point of how much it talks about death. Verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Or verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And the same thing in verse 17, because of one man's trespass, what happened? Death reigned through that one man. This condition this power that rules over us and results in our physical death. And so to underscore how devastating this was and has been on the human race, 
He says in verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Notice back in chapter 4 and verse 15, he says, The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, what he means here is even apart from the law where we are faced with specific commands from God given directly from God, even as Adam had, and that's what a transgression is, a specific transgression of a specific law given to us. He says, even apart from the law, when there was no transgression of that sort, sin was still in the world. Sin sin infected everyone. Because he says, even though that was the case, even without the law, what operated? Verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. They didn't have even specific commands of God, but still their sin was pervasive. You see it in the flood. You see it in the Tower of Babel. You see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see it in all of the idolatry and perverse paganism that, was, that surrounded Israel. And so when it says, uh, even though there were those who didn't sin like Adam, uh, the, in, the New International Version says, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, or the New Living Translation, who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. But he says, even without that specific thing, sin was rampant. Because death reigned and it proves that from the beginning our whole human race has been immersed in sin. Because death has marked us at every point. It doesn't mean, of course, that it wasn't sin. It was sin. Why would the flood come if it wasn't sin? And it didn't mean that they weren't guilty because there was the whole of the world wiped out because of sin. And as he says earlier in Romans 2, for all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. So, yes, sin is pervasive even apart from the law, and we will be held accountable apart from the law. But he's saying even when it wasn't the specific commands of either Adam or the specific commands of Moses, sin was pervasive. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he has that little phrase at the end of verse 14. Adam was a type of the one who is to come. Adam's, Adam was a gateway for sin and death and condemnation. And he was a type, but you might say the reverse type, of Christ who would be then the gateway for us of grace and life and justification. And that's what he lays out in verses 15 and following. What we had in Adam, what we have in Christ. What we have in Adam, what we have in Christ. And so the two heads of humanity, the old humanity, in whom if we stay simply in that position in Adam, we are under condemnation and will face God's wrath. But if we are in Christ, we're part of the new humanity that is justified, that is living in the abundance of grace and reigns in life and inherits eternal life. So he is the type of the one to come who is Christ Jesus. Now, if you will turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians, I want to show you this same kind of teaching. This is on page 976. 
We've looked at hope. That's the context. Now we're focusing on this sin and death. And I thought it would be good for us to compare what is said here in Ephesians. And this will lead us to the final uh, point of resurrection. Because that's the, that, that is the rescue that is given here in Ephesians 2. So these are familiar words, but perhaps you've not associated them with Romans 5. So it's a good association. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So you see, we were born by nature We were children of wrath. That means we belonged to wrath. That's a terrible statement. To be a child of wrath means that will be your inheritance. That's that's who you belong to. That's what you will have. That's your family. Your family is judgment. Your family is condemnation. Your destiny is utter irrevocable loss. And he says, by nature we were that. So death had spread to all mankind, and upon this flows all of our sinfulness, as he says here. So death results in sin, but now there's resurrection. Death and sin must be met by nothing less than new life. And so we see in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. And Paul's underscoring that. And that's why I would say to any of you here, you're being dead presently in your trespasses. You're, you're being committed to live against God now or to refuse God, not to trust God, not to take Christ as your Savior. And even maybe you walked in this day and you re- had refused Him up to this minute. Well, that's what's being contemplated here. While, when we were dead, when we hated him, when we had refused him, he came to us and through the gospel, he says, he made us alive together with Christ. And then he underscores, you see, by grace you've been saved. There's so much richness there. Being rich in mercy, number one. Because of the great love with which he loved us, number two. Even when we were dead, number three. By grace you've been saved, number four. He just can't say enough about it. That God met us in our dead, lifeless condition. In that condition in Adam. He finds us all in Adam. He finds us all belonging to this quagmire of rebellion and hatred against God. That's all he has to pick from. You heard me say it before, but he has to find every member of his bride in the red light district. That's where he finds us, giving ourselves away to our idols. We weren't fixing ourselves. We weren't helping ourselves. We didn't meet him halfway. He made us alive. And this is very important when it says, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because this comes on the heels 
of what he has said in chapter 1 when he said in verse 20, He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. And particularly, these statements of rule and authority and power have to, be, uh, have to do with demonic powers under which we served, which bound us. The power of sin, the power of Satan himself. He refers to these powers later in chapter 6, the, the powers against which we war now. But get the connection. He made you alive and he, did, he didn't just leave it there. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Where is that? Above all rule and authority and power and dominion. We've been restored so that we can reign over that which bound us at that time. We can now reign with a new life of obedience and love and worship and joy because we've been raised with Christ and seated with Him and we are not bound, we are not imprisoned, we're not enslaved, we're not dead. These powers hold us no longer. We have been set free in Christ. And notice what the destiny is. Here's more hope. Why has He done all this? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages talking about the new heavens and the new earth here, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so he's going to unveil the riches of his grace to all of creation by being kind to us forever. That's how he's going to glorify his name in the kindness that he shows his people forever. What a condition that we were in Adam under condemnation and judgment, wallowing in our sin, participating in the darkness, producing the darkness. He found us and made us alive and gives us everything is going to be kind to us forever. And it was all because of his great love with which he loved us. It was all because of his mercies. It was all because of his grace. And so this passage Verses 8 and 9 that talk about by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not in the first place, although it includes forgiveness. It's in the first place saying, He found you so against Him, so full of rebellion and a lack of worship and honor to God. And He found you in that condition and He made you alive. It's by grace that He rescued you. It's by grace that He changes you. And isn't that encouraging that... You always come to Him with whatever sin problem you have, however deep, however long it's been a part of your life. And you come and you say, Oh Lord, it's not because I can earn this right. It's not because I can do anything on my own. Lord, I depend on You who are rich in mercy, Your great love. Continue to make me alive. Continue to give me this life and set me free. And the end result, if the end result of death is sin, as we've said, the end result of life is obedience and love. And so he says in verse 10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so as a result of God's work in our lives, we become his workmanship brought out of Adam and put into Christ so that we begin to reign in life. And we don't really have the time to talk about it, but the writer of Hebrews contemplates Psalm 8 where it talks about how wonderful it is that 
God has given man dominion over the earth. Okay, So Psalm 8 is a reflection on Genesis 1. You made man, gave him dominion over the earth. The writer of Hebrews says, looking even more deeply, that, well, yes, we do have a dominion, but it's not the real dominion, except now we have it because Christ has been restored and he is reigning over this earth. And in Christ, we have begun our reign. We have begun our reign over sin. We've begun our escape, our freedom, our purification from sin because our humanity has been restored to kingship. How glorious. We're either in Adam, slaves, in bondage to sin, or we're in Christ in the increasing freedom of giving ourselves up to God. And this was accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why he died, to suffer for our sins and to put sin to death, to break its back as a power over our life and why he was raised from the dead so that we can enter into a whole new life. And I urge you, as you are thinking about your particular sins, to think again and again, I'm not in Adam, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And by His grace, I'm resurrected. By His grace, I've been raised to the right hand with, the, with Christ above and beyond these powers, and they cannot govern me and control me any longer. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. This is a, one of the most famous statements ever made by Churchill, and he made a lot of famous statements, of course. Uh, in May of 1940, we know that uh, May, May 10th, Germany invaded France, so, uh, coming behind the, the French line, and, which was reinforced by the English. And they came through Belgium, and in like two weeks, they had defeated France. And we all know the story of Dunkirk, how the Allied forces got pushed to the edge, and through this amazing flotilla, they were rescued, these 300-and-something thousand people. But that set up the Battle of Britain. And the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, uh, their goal was to destroy the RAF, the Royal Air Force. And their goal, if they could control the air, then uh, Operation Sea Lion, they could invade Britain. Everything depended upon the air battle because Britain had the naval superiority. But if, if Germany could win the battle for the air, if they could take over the air, then invasion of England would pursue. By October... The air raids, the, the bombing began to cease and it became months and a year later they realized they weren't going to invade. But in August, right in the middle of the battle, because the, they started attacking and bombing in the summer and it went through October. In August, Churchill was encouraged, he was speaking at the House of Commons, August 20th, and he was encouraged them that we have hope because we're building and we're growing and we can come against this enemy. And as he talked about it, he says this, The gratitude of every home in our island, in our empire, and indeed throughout the world, goes out to the British airmen who, undaunted by odds, unwearied in their constant challenge and mortal danger, are turning the tide of the world, uh, of the world war by the prowess and by their devotion. Never in the field, here it is, never in the field of human conflict 
was so much owed by so many to so few. And I think of Christ. Never in the history of the world was so much owed by so many millions and millions of people to one, one, one who acted on our behalf. That is your Lord. That is your Savior. You are in Christ. Let us pray. We worship you, Lord Jesus, our mighty Savior, who has rescued us, creating a new humanity, a new humanity that has been raised from our dead deadness, has been raised from being children of wrath, and now we are children of God. Now we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now we belong to Him, and we are in the favor of God through Him. We who deserved punishment and condemnation because we participated fully in the sin of Adam. We were a part of that nation, so to speak, and condemnation was pronounced upon us, and we participated in our very decisions and very lives. We were dead, and you made us alive. Oh God, we thank you and we worship you for that great love, for that great mercy, for that grace that was given to us when we were dead. May we rejoice in you. May we know who we are and what we are in Christ Jesus. Oh, bless us, Lord, that we will manifest that we have been set free from sin. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away